This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Well, welcome back to the Work Minus Podcast. Today, our guest is Frank Fioretti. He's a sociologist, consultant, and author, and we're talking about Work Minus Tracking Happiness. How are you today, Frank? Pretty good. And yourself? Excellent. I'm very excited to talk with you. We got in touch because I was really interested by some of the work you did on distractions. We talked about productivity in some previous episodes, and we wrote a big article about it. But uh, I loved your work, and you described as a sociologist. So why don't you start off just saying, why should business people start learning and reading and listening to sociologists? Well, I think that uh, most businesses throughout the Anglo-American world are very much influenced by very powerful social influences which shape the way that their employees conduct their affairs. So when I talk to business people, they always seem to tell the same story, the same story, whether they're in France or England or Canada. They always make the point about how they have a lot of difficulty in retaining uh, the loyalty of their employees. I mean, they're really concerned with very high levels of turnover among their staff. They talk about the fact that there seems to be a relative lack of commitment on the part of a lot of their employees, that a lot of employees, uh, no sooner do they join a company before they begin to look around, and it's almost as if uh, there's an imperative for them to move on as soon as possible. There's a kind of distraction there, which is a distraction of your CV. You're kind of continually looking for other opportunities and never getting into your work. Mm -hmm. And most important of all, and I think this is, why a lot of businesses are looking for uh, what I think are artificial or therapeutic ways of dealing with the problem. Most important of all, I think one of the characteristic features of, of the business world is the absence of what I would call, for lack of a better uh, phrase, uh, absence of a l'esprit de corps, which means the absence of a, a sense of belonging together and identifying with a workplace. Uh, Hmm. Uh, kind of team spirit that is genuine and is organic to the company and isn't just simply an afterthought in the way that it's often seen and, and promoted by businesses. And uh, this is very important because, uh, as, as we know from experience, as sociologists know, an esprit de corps where people identify and, uh, and, and kind of work towards the same purpose, it allows the individual employees to be able to deal with stress, with challenges and obstacles and people who have that kind of uh, sense of belonging and identification are unlikely to say well i'm i'm too tired you know i, I gotta not finish work they're unlikely to complain about the fact that the workplace is too stressful or that they're uh, emotionally uh, uh, kind of burnt out they're much more likely to be able to take risks they they are much more prepared to stretch themselves and see uh, problems and the uncertainties of the workplace, not nearly in negative terms, but as opportunities. And I, it seems to me that one of the things that we learn from the way that society works, particularly on the current generation of employees, especially the ones that are coming in, one of the important things that we learn is really the way their attitudes towards work and, and the way they identify with businesses mm-hmm. has got a disproportionately significant impact on the internal life of what happens in a, in a company. 
So as uh, sociologists kind of have a little bit more of their finger on the pulse of what's going on, or at least what has happened, to be able to identify a lot of those dynamics that are going around. One thing we're talking about today is about happiness, which re- resonates a little bit with what you're talking about anyway, about the team spirit aspect that needs to be there. So stepping back from the culture, the, the society angle, why do you think our culture is so obsessed with being happy? And has that changed over the last 20 years? I think it's, it, it began about 25, 30 years ago when we began to uh, sort of redefine what I would call the problem of existence in very emotional and even in medical terms. And where increasingly uh, what we we're worried about is that people were feeling ill at ease, people were finding it difficult to engage with uncertainty, they were regarding the risk of everyday lives as in entirely kind of negative terms. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, one of the response to this, and it's something that begins in schooling already, particularly in the United States where there's a continuous obsession with the self-esteem of children and, and, and the need to validate them. What began to occur is that uh, uh, the way we began to respond to these, what I say as existential problems, is by finding therapeutic solutions. And, uh, you know, these therapeutic solutions could be um, kind of forms of therapy like mindfulness. Uh, Sometimes it could acquire a a different form like building teams together through meditation or or going off somewhere, Mm -hmm. hoping that... uh, you can bond just because you're spending the weekend together. But one of the things that is a constant is somehow there, there seems to be this conviction that somehow through either uh, a procedural or, or uh, human resources or, or psychological means, you can make people feel happier. You can, you can do stuff that is going to increase their happiness, their satisfaction, and therefore, uh, by, by implication, their commitment to the company. I mean, that's, that's really the basic driving this yeah yeah i think that's the equation that we're looking at right now employers feel like hey we want people to stay longer and to be more productive therefore they need to be happier so let's track it let's put some data behind it and let's implement programs to make them happier so where is the the fault in some of that thinking what are some ways that that's kind of the wrong way to look at the issue well i think the happiness model uh assumes first of all that we know what happiness is and we know that every individual uh feels differently about, uh, you know, feels happy uh, in a different way than somebody else. And most of us find happiness a very elusive ideal. Um, And that in many respects, happiness is something that comes about not through uh, programs, not through uh, therapeutic intervention, but genuine happiness usually comes about, it's it's the indirect or the, uh, uh, the side consequence of feeling uh, that you've accomplished something, uh, that, that, that you like your work, that you've created something that you're proud of. And it's not something that can be injected through uh, sort of uh, providing the people with, with some kind of uh, emotional support. It's something that comes through uh, a real uh, sort of physical act of, 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 of activity. And it, it's something that usually comes about through work. And one of the things that I worry about is that in the very attempt to create these new schemes, these new models, you unwittingly downsize the meaning of work. You you basically uh, reinforce the assumption that somehow uh, working in a a company uh, has got all these uh, uh, negative side effects. 
you be, in a sense, you you know what you really are doing in effect is you're slightly beginning to disease work. You, you, you kind of uh, associate work with negative attributes mm-hmm. uh, that uh, cause you burnout, that cause you stress, that makes you feel depressed, that uh, um, somehow uh, disorients you because of the fact that you're having to deal with uh, sort of uh, uncertainty and with fluid situations. So instead of seeing work as something that's potentially quite creative, that strengthens us, potentially strengthens us, and can enhance uh, your your personality and, 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 and the quality of your day-to-day existence, we kind of leave work to the side uh, and instead seek solutions uh, according to a therapeutic model. And the unfortunate thing is, is that therapeutic models have a very consistent habit of creating the demand for even more therapy because uh, uh, feeling well or wellness is not something that is static. You can you can't simply say, well, okay, I've taken my happiness pill and I feel well and happy, and that's going to be my state for the next uh, year or, or or two years. No sooner have you gone through a, a therapeutic program before we become aware of the fact that something is still missing in your life. And therefore, maybe there, there might be a better uh, sort of therapeutic program that you can follow that, that will do the job. And I think, um, I mean, I often see these programs as, as creating a situations where uh, therapy or the search for th- therapy becomes this lifelong quest, a kind of a pilgrimage where you're looking for the next one that's going to be even more effective and, and, and do the business. Yeah. So when you look back, into history, do you feel like before there was this big push towards employee happiness, employee engagement, making sure everyone's feeling good and providing all these additional programs, have we actually made any progress in terms of people actually being more happy in the workplace or is it pretty much just a little bit of a wasted effort? Well, I think it's more than wasted. I think it's a real distraction because what we now have is this performance of care and this performance of, of, of being well. And, and and we kind of created these rituals of behavior, uh, which as it happens are often very external to what we're doing and, and often very much unconnected to the work that we're meant to be doing. And in fact, often undermine our capacity to work effectively. And most important of all, to really in, on occasions, but not always enjoy our work. I mean, you have to remember that work itself has a, potential for transforming our personality. It's got a very creative dimension mm-hmm. that can very easily overlook if we're looking for solutions to our personal problems in an entirely different domain. So just to give you one example, uh, before uh, this obsession with happiness kicked in, you already had the what I, I see as the pathologization of stress, where stress it, all of a sudden is turned into a medical problem. Now, I'm really old enough to remember when stress was not seen as necessarily uh, an issue that you needed to worry about. And in fact, uh, when I was young, we often uh, used the word stress in a positive way that I'm really stressed, man, and it's really good. You know, I feel I'm going to really do good. And very often when you were performing as a musician, you were performing as a public speaker, you were performing at work, the stress that you felt was seen as this extra source of energy that allowed you to go way beyond where you were beforehand. So 
it had a kind of a positive association. And at a certain point, what was either seen as being neutral or positive and sometimes negative became entirely framed uh, through a very negative narrative. And that's really what, what occurred in a work. And of course, once work stress is seen as a medical problem, then it's very difficult to escape from its consequences, which is the, which is the simple fact that any work that is real work isn't just simply pretending to be working, is inherently stressful. I mean, it's very seldom the case that you're just sitting around looking at your, at your shoes or, or looking at your nails and, and, and feeling very relaxed. And work stretches us. It, it kind of makes demand upon our personality. And therefore, uh, the process uh, that's inherent to work, if that is not seen in, in this kind of uh, very medicalized fashion, then I think it distracts people from getting on with their work and it kind of makes them feel almost as if they are patients rather than employees. Hmm. Yeah. So what's a better way to look at this issue? If you're talking to someone who's leading a, a large team, they care about the health of their employees, their team members that are there. They want them to enjoy work. They want them to do their best in it. What's a better way than trying to track happiness ratings and numbers that are there? What's a better perspective? Well, what I would suggest um, needs to be done is to, of course, make sure that, you know, the environment within which we work is uh, is secure as, as much as possible, that uh, the environment um, provides people with the opportunity to lead a healthy life. We, we don't want to create a difficult uh, terrain uh, in the workplace, which is akin to a battlefield. So the, the more we can create a, a kind of a healthy and secure and and uh, and lively dynamic uh, the better not the way you deal with the problems that we're discussing the way you make people feel good about the company that they work with the, the way you get people to identify with their work uh, and the way you get people to feel that it's in some shape or form they're actually in control to some extent you can't always be totally in control but at least control to some extent uh, uh, over their uh, workplace experience is to create uh, an environment where people know uh, what are the the what this company is really all about. People are aware of what is expected of everybody who works in that place, and what are the uh, values and 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 the commitments that uh, shape that kind of an organization. You know, sort of what makes this particular company special. If I was leading a team, I would really focus on on this particular dimension because good leadership uh, I, and by good leaders i don't mean managers because you can have good managers so not necessarily good leaders good leadership is is really about pe bringing people on people that you're kind of working with uh in relation uh to the to the kind of philosophy that you want them to embrace in in their workplace that means yeah, a philosophy that through which you can spell out what is distinct about your team, what is distinct about the demands that are placed upon uh, your teams in order to create uh, this kind of what I think is a powerful sense of belonging to what sometimes can be a, a very unique experience. And I think the more you can cultivate that kind of uh, commitment to uh, what I said earlier on with the less speed the core, where we're, this is what makes us who we are, the more people are able to forgive mistakes, the more able the more able to deal with uh, difficult challenges that can spring out of nowhere. And, and I think that it, it's that which is 
the real challenge that um, that managers and leaders and uh, kind of are continually confronted with. Yeah, I like how you started off using the word secure. It's not really the word I was expecting to hear, but you said, you know, it needs to be, the environment needs to be secure from a sense of people feeling like they know what's expected of them. They're not guessing at, at what people around them are, are thinking about them or what's what they're supposed to be doing, what their job is supposed to do. They know that if they use the talents that they've been given and, and accomplish the goals, that it's going to be a secure place. What are some other ways that people can create a secure environment? Well, security comes about, uh, existential security comes about through, the, first of all, through understanding that, uh, you know, you can trust one another. Yeah. I think trust relations are absolutely essential. And trust relations are, are built on the fact, um, you know, that there are many things in the workplace that you can take for granted. You know, you can take for granted uh, uh, that these are the these are the particular processes that that there are that define your particular work. You can take for granted that um, you can you, you know you're allowed uh, a certain amount of leeway in how you accomplish the tasks that are set to you, and you can take for granted the fact that now and again uh, mistakes that you may make uh, are are tolerated and not only tolerated but become a focus for creative discussion. Uh, from a sociological point of view, I always envision uh, security as a terrain where uh, you can take for granted as much as possible. I think the concept of taking things for granted or or tacit assumptions are really crucial because you know if, if you are uh, working in an environment where you don't have to explain yourself to everybody all the time and where others don't have to explain themselves to you, and where things are, you know, are just taken for granted in the way you work, it becomes a much more a relaxed kind of environment, and 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 that kind of contributes to what I see as existential security. And the and the beauty of of that kind of environment is that when you feel relatively secure, that most uh, dimensions of your of your work are ones that you can pretty much take for granted. You don't need to kind of invent them again. Uh, the more you're able to deal with insecurity. I think there's an interesting dynamic, a relationship between security, existential security, and the fact, of course, that even in the most secure environment, you're confronted with uncertainties periodically. And therefore, uh, to be able to deal with uncertainty in the most creative and effective way possible, uh, it helps if you kind of starting from a a secure foundation that you've cultivated and built up with the people that you're working with. Yeah. Now, there's always a danger. Somebody hears this, they say, okay, okay, maybe I shouldn't be tracking happiness and wellness like I am. I should be tracking, you know, belonging. I should be tracking security. Are these things something you can really put a number to in some way? Or you can look at conditions or symptoms that show that you have a secure workforce? Or is it really just completely intangible? It has to be more of a human element to judge how things are going. Well, uh, certain things are intangible, and 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 they're there's some they're kind of uh, uh, dimensions of a work experience that a good leader picks up on. A good leader uh, you know, learns through experience to uh, pick up signals from 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 the from the workforce. So there are many intangible things that are rendered tangible um, in the in in the course of exercising proper leadership. But then there are also things that you can put numbers to that you can quantify. So, for example, 
we know, for example, that uh, uh, the turnover of workers is a very clear sign uh, or a good indicator of what is happening in the workplace because uh, people who have commitment to, to, to the job, who have commitment to the workplace, are often very reluctant to move on and only move on under very specific circumstances. We know, for example, that uh, reporting uh, uh, various incidents of, of harassment and bullying or, or um, using various procedures uh, can often indicate that the important informal relationships that are, are necessary for taking for granted security have broken down. Whenever people uh, resort to solutions provided by human resources, that always indicates that the informality that is so precious in the workplace is, is not really working all right. And I think that's another good indicator. I think sickness um, yeah. uh, and levels of sickness are very, very important. I, I think in different businesses, it's possible to identify a number of uh, other uh, uh, indices that, that one can use to give a what I see as being a fairly clear picture of the state of morale within a workplace. Yeah, no, those are very interesting ideas to think about how they can impact the work environment. Well, Frank, it's been great talking with you to learn more about how business and sociology can come together with that. Where should people go to continue to follow you and see more of your writings? Well, I've got a, a website, which is www.frankfreddy.com, uh, Frank Freddy, one word. And if you look at Amazon, they got a, I've written over 2021 20, books. Uh, that deal with certain aspects of, 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 of these kinds of issues. Uh, and in particular, I would recommend a book I wrote some time ago called Therapy Culture, mm, Therapy okay. Culture which deals with some of the attempts to find therapeutic solutions to the problems of life. Yeah, and your most recent one's on fear, correct? Yeah, my most recent book is called How Fear Works, um, The Culture of Fear in the 21st Century. And I think that has got some very interesting implications uh, for uh, uh, for the workplace to, to understand, particularly the, the problem that we all deal with, and, and particularly leaders of business deal with, which is how we deal with the future in a world where we're finding it more and more difficult to manage uncertainty. Yeah. Well, excellent resources. We hope to circle back to you again sometime and get another uh, episode out of you to feel what's changing in the business environment. But until then, thanks a lot, Frank, for your time, and we appreciate your insights. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com, where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace.